Tonight's Bible reading comes from Matthew 1, uh, verses 1 to 17. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abijah, Abijah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat the father of Jehoram, Jehoram the father of Isaiah, Isaiah the father of Jotham, Jotham the father of Ahaz, Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Amon, Amon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconahah, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Babylon, Jeconah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abahad, Abahad the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Elihad, Elihad the father of Eliza, and Eliza the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Thus there were 14 generations in all, from Abraham to David, and 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. I have to say, that was awesome. That was so good. And uh, I'm so relieved I didn't have to do it. I was a bit worried when you didn't move at first. It's like, oh, great. I'm going to have to read this, and I will make an ass of myself. But um, there you go. Someone did it, and did it very, very well. And um, yeah, awesome. Great work. Guys, I have to be honest with you. Today has been a disaster for me. Um, I, I, I was late getting my message together. Uh, then my keyboard stopped working. Have you ever tried? typing when a keyboard doesn't work. Then I got it working and it locked on capitals and it was just doing my head in. So I finally finished the message and I hit that magic print button. Nothing. And uh, my wife was here uh, sorting things out here and so I had no backup to actually help me with that. So I was just banging things and making things happen and look. So let's see how we go tonight. Um, it's going to be interesting. Uh, trust that God will speak to us. But um, yeah, here we are. So let me again say good evening. It's great to be gathered here this evening. Uh, thank you for joining us. Um, and there are many or many things that I could say about the passage that we're looking at tonight. Uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The only thing I need to say um, is that I have always loved the genealogies. And I find this particular passage incredibly engaging. 
that's what a Bible-believing pastor is supposed to say, and that's what I'm supposed to say to the church, but I have to be honest, the truth is vastly different. Who was nodding off as that was being read? We actually have a couple of hands. Bless you all, that is great to be honest. But uh, I, I have to be honest, you know, when it says in 2 Timothy that everything is beneficial in Scripture. I, I would have actually believed that um, this was beneficial to me. It was good to give me rest and put me to sleep. And so there is benefit in it. I read it just before going to bed and it works very, very well. But hopefully we'll be able to change that opinion a little tonight. And uh, you'll understand there's a very good reason to have these genealogies in Scripture. And hopefully we'll engage a little bit more with them. How are we looking? I dropped some slides on... Oh, look at that. A round of applause for the guys up the back because this hit very late as well. Uh, not that there was a problem with email, it's just I was stressing about other things. So we're looking at Matthew 1, 1 to 17, as we've already ha had read to us this evening. And uh, what we know about the book of Matthew is that Matthew desires to reveal Jesus Christ as the son of David, as the son of Abraham. And this is the long-awaited Messiah that Israel has been looking forward, forward to. And so Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And the way it begins is the perfect bridge between the Old Testament and the New Testament. What we don't realise, or most of us, what we don't appreciate to see is, or see is that for a Jew, this is the most natural, the most engaging, the most essential way to begin the story of a man's life. And to emphasise that, I want you to think about the priests in the Old Testament. They had to prove an unbroken ancestry back to Aaron. If they couldn't prove that, they couldn't become a priest. End of story. And so how much more would the one who claimed to be Messiah have to prove his ancestry back to David? Let's pause and pray as we get into this. Our Father God, you know I need you. You know that I, I, I just desire for you to take control this evening and to speak your word clearly. So, Lord, allow this word to be one that challenges, allow this word to be one we engage with, and, Lord, just allow it to speak into the lives of each and every person hearing my voice tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, as I understand it, Pastor Darrell would have spoken quite a bit more on um, the three sections that are formed in this genealogy, so I won't go into a lot of detail about those three different sections, but we should perhaps cover just a little bit there. So what we're told is there's three sections of 14 generations mentioned, and uh, some of them are incomplete, but there are a number of reasons for that, and uh, I, I like the explanation most about the fact that it was done in such a way that it was easy for people to remember. If this was the promised Messiah they were talking about, then they should be able to recite it well and trace Jesus back to who they said he was uh, a descendant of, and particularly King David in this case. And so the promised Messiah was supposed to inherit the throne of King David, and it was important for Jewish people to be able to trace that back. So the three sections cover significant chapters in humanity's history as well. The first section is down to King David, and it is he who established uh, the Jewish nation as a power within the world. So the first section goes as far as the rise of Israel's greatest theocratic king, godly king, for those who don't understand theocratic. The second section concludes at the exile of Babylon, to Babylon. And this is all about the nation's shame, having turned away from God and the consequent tragedy that followed turning away from him. 
And the third section takes us from that tragedy to Jesus Christ. It is the story of Jesus, his life, death and resurrection, which takes all of the tragedy, all of the disaster, all of the shame, all of the sin. And he deals with it once and for all, turning the worst disaster in human history, our separation from God, into the greatest triumph that will ever be told. But why a genealogy? First and foremost, it fulfills hope. What we miss as we skip over these verses is that Matthew begins this book in a way that would cause his Jewish audience to reflect on the first scroll they have. The Greek word translated genealogy here is Genesis, literally beginnings. And as you're aware, this is the first book of the Old Testament. And as we read Genesis, we find a similar genealogy as God records first the first generations of the heavens and the earth as uh, it was created. It's creation itself that he speaks about. In Genesis 2, 4 to 23, it's the generations of Adam, humanity as recorded in Genesis 5. And these verses in Matthew serve to document the heritage of Jesus. And they begin with this narrative and then move into his infancy. But it also serves as a point of new beginnings. Just as Genesis gave that story, the beginning of God's creation and his covenant relationship with Israel, Matthew gives the account of a new beginning, the arrival of the promised Messiah. The kingdom of God is here. And verse 1 stresses that Jesus is the Son of God, the Son of David. And, and it could be argued that this is perhaps the main purpose for this happening, or the only reason that the genealogy was needed. For us and for non-Jews, this may not seem very important. But how many times is this point made throughout Scripture? When Peter stands up and speaks boldly to the masses for the first time after receiving Holy Spirit in Acts 2, he declares Jesus is the son of David. When Paul writes to the Romans, he declares that Jesus was descended from David according to the flesh. And Jesus himself says he is the root and descendant of David in Revelation 22.16. And it's repeated many more times than that. All throughout the Gospels, people address Jesus this same way and gives him this title. In Matthew 12, 23, when Jesus heals the demon-oppressed man who was blind and mute, the people in their amazement say, could this be the son of David? The Canaanite woman who came to Jesus in Matthew 15, the one who we remember famously uh, being basically called a dog by Jesus, her and her children, she cries out to Jesus, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of of David. During the triumphal entry, when Jesus is riding that donkey into Jerusalem, the crowd themselves address Jesus as the son of David. These are people who were living in waiting. They were looking forward to the promised Messiah, a people who believed God, took him at his word. And about 700 years prior to this, the prophet Isaiah predicted that the long-awaited Messiah would be born of a virgin. Israel was God's chosen people. And even though they had a rather checkered relationship with God, they never, ever forgot that they were God's chosen people. 
Even as Matthew writes, they are a nation subject to another. But they never forgot their destiny. Their hope, their dream, was that one would come into this world who would be a descendant of King David. And this promised one would lead them to fulfill the destiny of glory they believed was rightfully theirs. And Jesus is the answer to these hopes and dreams. Matthew makes it clear that Jesus is the son of David. And this fulfills a number of prophecies. But the fact that Jesus is the son of Abraham also fulfills more of those prophecies. And if you like, it seals the deal. We know that Abraham was once called Abram. And God made a promise to Abram back in Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. All the families of the earth. And when God said this, Abraham was old and childless. God had promised him he would inherit the land that he showed him. God also promised that even though he was childless and his wife was beyond childbearing years, God would make Abraham a great nation who would occupy this promised land. It would be out of these people, Israel, Abraham's descendants, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. Jesus is this promised descendant, the saviour who would come from the Jews, who would bless all nations, the one who Abraham and his descendants look forward to, hoping for him to redeem all mankind. And Israel waited, hoped, longed for this promise to be fulfilled. And Matthew makes it clear in the very beginning of this book, the very first line, that Jesus is the promised son of David, son of Abraham, and he fulfills all the prophecies spoken of him. Why else do we have the genealogy here? I believe it's because it's a call to sinners. As we look through the list of names, it's surprising for us to see some of the names that are actually there. But it would have been even more shocking to the Jews. For starters, there's several women mentioned, and we all know that women are the dregs of the earth, hey. Biblically speaking, of course. But this is actually far from normal. Women were never mentioned especially not in genealogies. They had no legal rights at the time. They were not even really regarded as people. They were merely a commodity to be traded or sold if so desired. And so a woman was totally possessed by her father, her husband, her master, and is bound to do whatever he wanted her to. In fact, Jewish men would pray just about every morning and thank God that he was born a Jew first and foremost, but then he would thank God that he was not a Gentile and that he was not a slave and that he was not a woman. Who would want to be a woman? And we see this in what we have read this evening. And Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed by Ruth, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David, the king, and David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Rahab is mentioned here. She wasn't even a Jew. She was a Moabitess. Oh, sorry. I'm jumping ahead. That was Ruth. <laughs> Rahab is here. 
And she's the one who protected the spies when they came into Jericho. But Joshua 2 tells us that she was a harlot. And she was a Canaanite woman as well. Then there's Ruth. She wasn't a Jew either, as I've already said, even though I didn't mention her name. She was a Moabitess. And this race was actually banned from ever entering the temple of God. And they were hated by the Jews. And then there's the one whose name is not even mentioned. The wife of Uriah. This was Bathsheba. And uh, she was seduced by King David, which resulted in her falling pregnant and ultimately led to her husband's murder so that the king could cover up his crime. Tamar is also mentioned in verse 3, and she deliberately seduced her father-in-law. When you think about how some people say, this is all fake, if I was writing the Bible and I decided to mention women, these ones wouldn't be in there. I would want some honourable women. I would want some women who were on pedestals that people would be able to say, yeah, that's a top woman to be there. I would want someone who was better suited, had a greater heritage, that honoured God more. But there's a reason for all things. There are other sinners mentioned too in here. Uh, Solomon in verse 7, who was drawn away from God into idolatry because of his love of foreign wives. And he had been told not to marry any of them, but he did, and he got led astray because of them. Rehoboam is also mentioned in verse 7, and it was his pride and arrogance which caused the nation of Israel to split. Uzziah, he died of leprosy because he entered the temple and made an offering, um, which he wasn't authorised to do. Ahaz, in verse 9, committed gross idolatry. Manasseh killed so many that God cast him out of the land. And there were others... And this is the line of Jesus, the Messiah. And again, if I was trying to create a fake religion, I I, I wouldn't do this. I'd have greats in there. I'd have people who were otherworldly, mighty men and women. But as I said before, all of this is here for a reason. And Jesus' entry into this world... When he came, he came as one who would identify with fallen humanity. It was our sinfulness, the sinfulness of those named in the genealogy. And because of that sinfulness, that none of us could ever earn God's favour. And so we're told in Romans 8, 3, For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin. He condemns sin in the flesh. His genealogy spells out for me so clearly there is no longer Jew or Gentile. There is no longer male or female. There is no longer saint or sinner. Right at the start of Matthew's Gospel, the height, depth, breadth and width of God's great love is made abundantly clear. It's all embracing. He wants to save everyone. Jesus identified with us, a fallen race, He did so in order to die for us, as one of us. And there's one more thing that we should perhaps mention from these verses. He was born in sinless purity. And as we get to the end of this genealogy, we see that Jacob was the father of Joseph. 
and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Matthew changes the way he speaks when it comes to Joseph. He doesn't speak of Joseph being the father of Jesus. He says instead that Joseph is the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. And Jesus was born not by the seed of Joseph, but he was conceived in the womb of Mary by Holy Spirit. Joseph, in his role, treated Jesus as if he was his own, knowing full well that he wasn't, but Joseph willingly adopted him. And Jesus inherited David's royalty through Joseph, but did not, in fact, could not inherit the sin of Joseph. Jesus was born in sinless purity. He had no sin of his own. As such, he was able to bear our sins, suffering the punishment that was rightfully ours. And as Hebrews 4.15 tells us, in Jesus we have a high priest who was in all points tempted as we are and was yet without sin. Jesus was born into a fallen humanity. He identified with us. He was part of us. And yet, as a member of us, he was completely distinct in that he never sinned. And there's another interesting twist here too. If you look at verse 12, you'll see a man named Jeconiah. He was the king who ruled when Israel was taken captive into Babylon for 70 years. And it was this king who God placed under a curse along with his descendants. He is also referred to as Koniah. And in Jeremiah, God says, Thus says the Lord, Jeremiah 22.30, Write this man down as childless, a man who shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. There seems to be a bit of a problem here, hey? We've got this curse on the line of David, which says that the descendants of this man will never sit on the throne of David. And God promised King David that his throne would be established forever. And unless Jesus had been of the lineage of David, there is no way he could be king of the Jews. And if Jesus had been a physical descent of David, then he was prevented by ta of taking David's throne because of this curse. In Matthew's genealogy, we see that Joseph was born of the lineage of Solomon, David's son. That's in verse 7. But there's another genealogy recorded in Luke. And that genealogy is traced down to Joseph from the lineage of Joseph's father-in-law, Heli. Luke provides us with the genealogy of Jesus through Mary. Mary was born in the lineage of King David through another of David's sons, Solomon's older brother, Nathan. Both were sons of David, but Solomon's was under a curse. Nathan's was not. Who's confused? It's okay. Jesus was born with a full inheritance of royal authority and sinless purity. Only he could have been. Only a virgin birth would make all this possible. And only God could have come up with this solution. We are coming to a time of year where we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And as we look at this genealogy, it really doesn't mean too much to us. But there was this guy called David Fischler. He grew up a Jew and he loved nothing better than debating Christians, especially Christians who are passionate about their faith. 
David was very eager to refute them and refute the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. And a fellow member of the debating team named Marianne convinced David that he should study the scriptures so he would be better at debating these people, these Christians. And so David took her up on the challenge and he started in Genesis. He read the entire Old Testament from Genesis right through to Malachi. And of course, he, that's the Old Testament. He was quite happy with that. That's what the Jewish people had. And then David turned the page from Malachi to Matthew 1. And when he did, this light came on for him. He made this incredible discovery that he hadn't realized before and it changed his life. It transformed him. He discovered that Jesus was actually Jewish. doesn't seem like much to you hey you may think that everyone knows that but David didn't he had always assumed that Jesus was a Gentile since just about all of Jesus followers were Gentiles and reading the genealogy of Jesus in Matthew 1 and discovering that lineage of Jesus from the patriarchs Abraham, Isaac and Jacob through the royal line of King David is a massive turning point for him. His eyes were open to the fact that Jesus was and is the Messiah of God, the one promised to the Jews. The Saviour God sent him to redeem and govern his people in righteousness and peace. God used this genealogy to remove the scales from this guy's eyes and it was enough for him to give his life to Jesus this guy is actually pastoring in a Christian church today as a result of reading the genealogy in Matthew what does all this mean for us I think if we think about what has been said tonight think about the fact that Jesus came into this world to fulfill the hope of a nation. He came to address all of us as sinners. He came to pay the price once and for all. And what we need to realize is God did all of this. He put it all in place so that his promises could be fulfilled, so that the prophecies that were spoken about Jesus could be things that we could look at and study. And it's no coincidence that Jesus came at the time that he did. It was highly important, imperative in fact, that his genealogy could be checked, that they could make sure that it traced back to King David. The records of those genealogies could be seen in the temple. You could go in, you could read them, and you could trace your heritage back. As I said, the priests had to do that. What happened in AD 70? The temple was burnt to the ground. The records are gone. If, as the Jews say, Messiah has not come, he is still yet to come, how are they possibly going to trace his genealogy? How are they going to learn if this guy is actually the Messiah? There's only one. Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Right place, right time. Proven. To be the Messiah. He's got to call upon your life, whether you want to acknowledge that or not. 
My prayer is that this Christmas we'll consider afresh who Jesus is to each one of us, that we'll read the stories that we so often take for granted, that we'll appreciate Jesus' birth, that we'll appreciate the names he's been given. Emmanuel, God with us. That Easter, sorry, that Christmas so long ago. And now with us into eternity. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you that it is powerful and moving. I thank you, Lord, for a genealogy which doesn't really mean too much to us. But Lord, we spoke volumes to one man we know of and no doubt to many others. Father, will you move in us in a similar way? Will you give us a heart for you and for your word? Will you allow us to revisit the incredible story of the birth of Jesus and allow us to submit afresh to you, Lord? Father, there's people who are hearing my voice who aren't in a right relationship with you. It may be because they've never made that decision, Lord. They've never decided to follow you. It may be because they've gone down that slippery path and there's sin that is just preventing them from being with you. We let them see afresh, Lord, that Jesus Christ died for that sin. There is no sin that you cannot forgive, Lord. And I just pray that those who are hearing my voice will realize that, that they'll repent, that they'll return to you, and that this will be a new beginning, a new beginning in you. In Jesus' name, amen.